0: Welcome to Donne Talks, provided to you by Donne, Women in Music. I am your host, Gabriella DiLaccio, and in every episode I interview guests who are amplifying change, people who are using their voices and their positions to create bigger impact in our society. Today's guest is Rachel Walker Mason, a multi-award-winning musician, singer and songwriter. Rachel was named the Woman of the Year in 2020 and hailed as an inspiration by Prince Harry. She has also received the Lockdown Hero Award for her work creating the International Arts Festival Unlock Your Talent, which received worldwide acclaim for its support and fundraising for mental health.
1: I'm one of those people. When something tough happens, you just think, I'll just knuckle down and get through it because we don't we <laughs> there isn't really much option. And with most things in life, I can just power on through and just with sheer determination I can get through it and I remember being pregnant with with Layla my first child and the midwife said um well as you've had mild depression before you are statistically more likely to have postnatal depression and I remember just thinking no I won't I won't let that happen and I just think just through determination of just deciding I'm not going to have that I thought I could stop it happening and it did not work Welcome, welcome,
0: Rachel. So nice to finally have you here. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you. How are you?
0: Yes, we're all surviving and I think chatting with each other is really helping during the pandemic. Let's start with music. Let's start with singing and how music started in your life. If you can uh, tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. So I've been singing since I was... A very little girl like I, I don't remember a time where I wasn't singing um, and my parents always tell stories about me picking up entire pop songs and singing them um as a like an 18 month old I'd sing whatever was in the charts and things yeah I just I just seemed to absorb pop music which uh I thought everybody did but apparently that's not normal no <laughs> so, not really no <laughs> and um and i i also have a condition called synesthesia where i see music as colors and i can taste music as well so i'd um, grown up with that almost like extra sense um which which is really fun it's like um people it's like refer-
0: any any music or some or special music no any
1: music any music yeah so it's um i i kind of yeah. So it makes plotting lighting for shows quite easy because I can just see what the what the color of the song is <laughs> which is an odd that's song. fantastic
0: but does um, it change does it ever change or that song
1: or piece of music will ever be the same color it's fascinating it te- it tends to be yeah once a, 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 the first time I hear it it tends to be a particular color and it, it always is although when I was pregnant my synesthesia seemed to change a little bit I think with my senses got a bit more heightened because I was pregnant um yeah so it's 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 quite an odd odd sense um to have but it's um it's quite common in musicians yeah and uh yeah and it's, well, it's I don't a-
0: think it's that common because uh, <laughs> I never met another musician who really? had yeah, no, it
1: have you what um you? I I've, well, I well I my niece has it actually oh, and okay. she's a little little girl um but we talk about different colours in songs and um, yeah I know a few children who have it um, and they just say you know so this one's in F major which is yellow and, I, yeah. <laughs> and so, I'm like okay yeah it's a- <laughs> so you have perfect pitch as well or no no I don't I've got kind of relative pitch but yeah, yeah I don't have perfect pitch um, which people are always disappointed that musicians don't all have that so you probably I know. But, um, I really
0: I really tried when I was a kid I was I just was fascinated I just I want to have perfect pitch <laughs> anyway so sorry, sorry I'm so
1: sorry then you <laughs> continued I guess in school singing and yeah and and then I started um having singing lessons um and my singing teacher was a classical singer so I did lots of classical things as I was a teenager so I was singing Um, I've got kind of like a light soprano operatic when I do classical things it's a very light Soubrette voice Um, so I could do little bits of opera and you know um, art songs and things and then I went to do my my degree in music so during the day I was singing classical things and then at night I was working in a studio um, recording my first pop pop album of stuff that I'd written so it was uh back when I wasn't so tired I could kind of burn the midnight oil
0: (laughs) but hold on so you started doing a a music degree Mm, and then when did you start writing your own songs was that during university
1: already well I'd, I'd always written my own songs like I think from the age of about four I had song lyrics in my head um and I would Write them down. So I wrote songs all the way through primary school, secondary school, and and things. And then it was only when I got to um university I I thought, oh, I actually quite like to pursue this. I'd already started realizing I wasn't really cut out to be a classical singer. I didn't have enough power in my voice mm-hmm. uh, to, to make it as a classical singer. And I was starting to, to feel that I don't I didn't think that was the path for me. Um, and so um, I was pursuing kind of out of university hours, I was doing my, my kind of pop songs and things, um, but still really enjoyed studying um, all of the elements of music. So, you know, the history of jazz and, um, and, and all, the, all the kind of really fundamental things in music orchestration and things that I use now still in my songwriting, um, it's still a brilliant degree, um, but I just decided within my own performance abilities, I'd sort of gone down a different route. During during that time, so yeah, so I started to write my so own. So you d- you form.
0: didn't really have training in
1: composition to start um, writing. Only in the sense that I did GCSE music, so you do kind of yeah. composition within that. Um, but other than that, not really. No, I just really liked writing songs. I, I played the piano and um, and things. So I've I've always and I've loved writing poetry and lyrics and things. So I just they, th- those lyrics would just sort of fall out of me. I'd just you know other people can do really normal things and there's me not you know I can't do normal stuff but music comes out of me (laughs) just to write music Um, and then after my degree I I sort of did a few various jobs and things and then started working as a singing teacher um, which I loved doing so many students and teaching lots of different styles Um, And then I decided that I, during that, I wanted to do um, a master's in songwriting because I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this as a career, I want to really know what I'm doing. So I did a part-time master's in songwriting, um, which was amazing. So I learned loads of different techniques and different skills um, and it was- Here in London? In, well, it was in Bath. So I'm out in um, Somerset. I live out- Oh, yes, sorry. That's okay. Um, We can't see it on Zoom, guys.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and uh, yes yeah, so there's a, a university near me called Bath Spa that does um does a, a a part-time like songwriting masters um so I could do that while I was still working so that was really nice to be able to do that over two years um and it was it was really enlightening there were so many things that I'd not considered and um like so you and I were saying about technology before because I was raised the classical singer I didn't really know what I was doing with technology um you know you're singing until yeah. my, and and learning how to sequence tracks and that kind of thing it's just something I'd never done before because classical singers we just stand up and sing that's what we do yes
0: and, and uh we were <laughs> just before we started recording we were talking this off stage because as a classical singer and I'm sure many of my colleagues out there will sympathize with me because the pandemic you know it's very hard for us because Mm -hmm. we normally sing without a mic in a lovely room with a nice acoustic and we are used to power power through the voice and every time i try to do that with my iphone it sounds absolutely awful (laughs) so i have to sing super quiet uh, and, and then i bought a mic trying to improve i don't even know how to set it up i'm extremely frustrated that i didn't Uh, learn how to do that because you know it's becoming more clear every day that I don't think the online transmission will go away Mm. even with the end of the pandemic so this has to be something we have to learn because yeah
1: yeah I think and I think a lot of people have realized that now we're in the third lockdown people who didn't kind of get on the zoom kind of train you know get like crack on with this whole online life Mm -hmm. people who were just like I'll just wait till life goes back to normal it's a year on and it is not back to normal and they're trying to now catch up to to things so yeah it's and it's yeah for people like you and me who weren't um and people assume because I do pop things now they assume that I'm really good with technology and I am not at all I've had to really really learn because it's it's just not in my wheelhouse, it's not something that I've ever done. So it's it's a skill set I've had to gain, even though I'm I'm not particularly interested in it. I just want to write songs and sing a bit. And I'm like, I just <laughs> I'm not really And do, do
0: you write old old style on the piano or do you use a, a program?
1: Um a bit of both really. It depends what I'm doing. So yeah, I quite often sit at my piano and and write. Um and I often co-write with other people, so they're often playing guitars or things. And I wrote the song with a dance producer the other day, so she was making a dance track at the same on Zoom while we were right making up the song. So it, wow. it kind of varies depending on the the genre of the music, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I've had to really kind of get on with the technology side of it to keep up with <laughs> everything else that's that's going yeah. on.
0: So after you have done your masters, uh, then you start to just writing songs?
1: Yeah I, I think it gave me a lot more confidence to think actually I can do this um and and so I yeah started reaching out to other songwriters the thing that I realized during my master's was that I love writing with other people one of the modules was collaborative writing and I just loved co-writing with with another person because you get that energy and that and two sets of skills in the same room and you can bounce off each other. And if one of you is good at one thing, the other one might be good at something the other one's not as good at. And it just, is such a lovely balance. Um, And you create something that you wouldn't have been able to create without the other person. And um, so I realized that I wanted to be a co-writer more than anything else. So since then I've been um, working with lots of different artists. um, And sometimes we record things ourselves that we've written other times we give the song to another artist Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah that's and I've been able to do that even more during lockdown because no one's doing anything (laughs) you know all all us all us musicians can't tour we can't perform we can't do our normal jobs so people that you've wanted to write with are now available yeah they're just sitting at home as well in there you know just just chilling out not having anything to do so we just on a zoom call together and write a song and it's um and it's 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 a shame that what's happening at the moment in the music industry but the bonuses we can get out of it the pluses is that we can connect with people that we wouldn't normally have time to so um yeah that's been a been a kind of nice upside to a horrible situation
0: it has it has it has it's we have to see the positives and Mm. take the positives from when it's over as well because also has uh, enabled us to have conversations with people all over the world which was available before but nobody really thought about it and now it's just yeah. you know all the doors have been really open absolutely um,
1: yeah
0: well because this uh you know donne the donne foundation is focused on women in music but not only music but let's talk about women in music so mm. when you were studying what was your experience of hearing about women composers or women songwriters? There are more women songwriters, but did you have a lot of role models who who were your role
1: models or did you miss them? I think, yeah, it's female composers, particularly in the classical world, aren't really spoken about very much. Um, They just, nearly all our lecturers were male. I think we only had one female lecturer who was was lovely, Um, but yes, it was a very male, oriented world and pretty much all of the subjects we talked about when when they talked about a particular composer it was always a male composer and it's it was difficult to kind of appreciate women's input into music and how important um they were and are and, and how much harder it is to be able to do anything as a woman, particularly back then when, when, you know, classical music was then the current thing, like you weren't allowed to do things if you were a woman, it was just not, not allowed. And so, yeah. and then yeah, moving into kind of songwriting, um, it's still a very male world, um, but there are more female songwriters who, um, who I really admire, um, who, are, who have, have been, been around for like Diane Warren, who's, um yeah. amazing um and Amy Wodge is one of my my favorite writers she writes with Ed Sheeran um quite often and Tori Amos, Sarah McLachlan there's lots of yeah. lots of them they're often American um there's there seem to be um from from kind of days gone by there seem to be fewer British ones but there it, it I think there's a lot more emphasis on women in music now because yeah. because we've realized that there's, we know there's an imbalance, but there's now an effort to redress the balance. And so like your podcast is, is um, a big support in that. And, and there's lots of sort of um, women in music and um, different groups. Yes, yeah,
0: so definitely. There is a lot of, there's a, a new movement has started probably the mm-hmm. Me Too. Um, yeah. uh, but you know, from my experience, I don't know, you tell me about the the pop world, you will know more, but from, okay, of course, this year we didn't have many concerts, it's difficult to judge, but we can judge Mm -hmm. by the things you see online, that uh, concerts that are being broadcast and the music that we hear on the radio. Uh, And there is this idea that because we hear more women that the problem has been addressed. But if you start quantifying, actually the, the, the changes, quite small uh, and mm. a lot more to, to be done. And I think um, when I started uh, the project Donné, I didn't know the, the women, you know, mm. I came across them like 2016, 17, thousands and thousands of women composers in the history of music. Mm. You know, my life has been <laughs> studying music yes performing yes. music classical music uh baroque music and i'm used to research and find new composers so um it kind of became very clear to me that i couldn't not do nothing anymore because yeah. if i did nothing you know and it's not enough just saying oh yes of course i support equality or support diversity you know mm. if you're not doing something every day and i think you're you can talk about that as well, because you do so much in so many other fields, which we will talk if we have
1: enough time. (laughs) Um,
0: But um, when you started then submitting your songs or did you find any more difficulties as a woman or was it smooth the beginning of her
1: career? Um, I think, well, I'm not sure I found that more difficult. I think just being a new writer Is difficult whether you're a whether whoever you are, um, because people are people are just like who are you? Why should I listen to your music? Um, So it's difficult to make headway either way. Um, But I think writing for women is very different, Um, and men writing for women, you get different songs out of it. So um, and then women writing for women, and it's it's in pop music, it's it's for women. It's a very sexualized world. So it's, you know, there's, um, and there's this whole thing that, that I completely disagree with in, in pop music, but that there's a kind of unwritten rule that over 30 or over 35 or something, women should, women have to just stop performing because it's, people don't want to see an old person, <laughs> old, 35, um, performing. Um, and Madonna's kind of the only exception to that rule. She just, you know, carries on doing things. But um, over Katie Tunstall, um, who is a, a bit older than me but not much she was um, still trying to break into the industry at age 30 and she was told that she was too old to start in it and which is appalling because she she had so much talent and and she when she finally got into the into the industry and everybody could hear her music everyone was really impressed and she's done brilliant things um but there's but with men they can carry on writing and and performing and things until they're 100 or something people people don't seem to mind when they're older you know Tom Jones is 80 now and he's still performing and he sounds amazing and people don't mind that he looks like an 80 year old like that's a pretty well preserved 80 year old I have to say but they people wouldn't there's almost like a, a kind of disgust against an 80 year old woman performing. But do, you, do
0: you think the disgust is from the public or is this something that there are like you have the gatekeepers who are just you know, not giving, because I don't think, I think the audiences would, uh, you know, okay, I'm a woman, of course I wouldn't (laughs) mind seeing a 30 something, 40, 50 years years old woman performing. I would love it. Mm. I think majority of people would, uh, but somehow you have some people closing the doors.
1: That's, that's probably the case. And maybe it's how the public felt years ago. But I don't think the public thinks that as much anymore. People are more, have yeah, a kind of freer in their, their kind of perception of people still being able to do things when they're older and still being successful, still being able to sing and dance and do, you know, whatever they want. Um, but yeah, I, I guess think- because of
0: everything is on TV, it's, 4, it's 4K, they want uh, everybody to look good all the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of reaching the classical world as well you know many Mm. many singers you know you have to be very aware of your image uh you know there were stories of many performers who have been harassed for being overweight it's horrible to think i mean but 30 years
1: old (laughs) i know i'm like i'm already 10 years past it then and it's um yeah it's a really sad Kind of state of affairs when you think well, what's the point then you kind of feel like well if that's what it, if that's what the world is then what's the point in trying but i think if you've got a bit of tenacity you can think no i'm going to change that and it's people deciding i'm not going to put up with that that they will they will change it so um yeah so i think things are changing um, it's just quite a slow process <laughs> to kind of filter all the way up to the top um, yes,
0: of course, because this will depend also on record labels, you know, the whole industry needs to to get on board and the festival directors and whoever is curating artists uh, to perform. But it, w- wouldn't that be amazing to have, you know, women over 50 and 60 performing? I and mean, I, I'm sure there are many still performing, you yeah. know. Oh, Joan Baez oh have you seen her video when she turned eight is it 80 incredible yeah um can you talk a little about you've been a judge in many uh programs and Mm. competitions do you wanna um it it was through that that you start thinking about mentoring more singers or have you started before becoming a judge because i i imagine it must be A very interesting experience, isn't it? Because normally we are judged. Yes. (laughs) And then suddenly you are on the other side. How was that?
1: It's quite, it is an interesting experience because as a vocal teacher, I am, my students will all tell you that I'm a very, like gentle teacher. So I don't shout at people. I don't tell them off. um, And I find they work better for me if they feel like they want to make me proud rather than like they're scared of me um and so I've always been that kind of very encouraging person so then being a judge was was really tough because I'm like oh sometimes I have to say things that aren't as nice so that you and you can't sugarcoat them as much maybe um so that's that can be quite tricky but I always try and do things in a constructive way um and the mentoring kind of came from that really that I it's, it's tough to give someone a slightly negative comment and then sort of go okay so bye then yeah. <laughs> get on with your life. I like to be able to you know say or maybe you need to work on your tuning a bit here or maybe look at the lyrics of this chorus or something but then be able to offer them some um, some mentoring so they they get a follow-up to that so I can explain it and then support them rather than just yeah giving them that information yeah. and then improve
0: improve on that and and it's really interesting I don't know if you hear you probably heard the same but when uh, I met so many people every time you tell them you're a singer 80% of the people, up unless they are singers, of course, they would say to me, Oh, I wish I could sing. Yeah. And then I always say, But <laughs> well, maybe you can. And no, 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 I can't. And you know why they say they can't? You probably know. No, I can't sing because when I was a kid or yes. I was a teenager, I was yes. in the choir and my yes. music teacher told me, No, 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 you're just mime. And yeah. because of that, this person never tried again so um, I teach teenagers as well and I actually love teaching teenagers more than anything mm-hmm. because I take it you know uh, I, I had all kind of different teachers so I had the shouty one I had the one that was gonna <laughs> give you tough love to make you cry and then maybe you anyway you had all of them uh, and then i know how hard it was to 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 hear things and just to feel i don't know how to do this because it was exactly yeah. that oh this is not good this is not good. not good and then you don't know how to deal with it and mm-hmm. and how important it was when finally i I had people who were super encouraging and you know took my hand and and we always have things to improve we are never mm. <laughs> we are never done anyway, yes so um yeah, so I, I I bet you
1: have the same. Did you ever have people telling you they, they've been scarred for life by yeah, a comment? Many people, so many people, my goodness. And it's often people who are in their sort of 50s, 60s who come for singing lessons as a kind of, like they decided they'd treat themselves for a little kind of, pet me up in their life, and I'm like, great, that's fantastic, and we do lots of different things. But nearly every single one said exactly the same thing that, yeah. that someone told them that yeah, their teacher at school like, oh yeah, you're not allowed to sing in the choir, um, kicked them out or made them mime. Yeah, yeah, it was it was so 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 frequent, and I've even had um, quite young students, yeah, teenagers, who are told at school by fairly well-meaning teachers, oh, you're never going to make it a singer, you're dreadful. And I kind of see that as a challenge. I'm like, right, you wait, you wait six months and I'll bring them back to you. And they just need support and they need to be taught what to do rather than just say, well, this isn't good because that's not any help to them. They need practical advice and support. And then one of those students has now gone on to have a performing arts career. And she was told at school that she'd never make it as a singer because she she didn't have the the skills. And um, but she had the passion. She was such a hard worker. And I knew I could get her to that point mm. with the right kind of support. And it was that was just just wonderful seeing her get into her performing arts degree and do really well. I just felt so proud that she had clung on to my kind of advice rather than taking what the other teacher said to heart because she could have just easily stopped and said oh well I won't I won't do that then if someone's told me I'm terrible um but yeah it really scars people it's it's not a helpful thing to say and I don't believe that people can't sing anyway I think that everybody can sing they just haven't necessarily been taught and um some people are naturally have more ability than others um but everybody can everybody can sing um, it just it depends Like, if you, if you grew up in a house without a lot of music or where the radio wasn't on, then your pitching won't be as good because you're you're just not used to hearing it. It's like children who grow up around lo- lots of different languages. They'll pick up language skills quicker because their ear is used to it. And music's just like another language. So it's just it's just training. Um, exactly. And, and I
0: think yeah. I also believe everybody can sing and everybody can improve. Yeah, so that's the best thing. Yeah, I think people have this idea that singers have a, is a, bol- a, a born talent, you are mm. born with it. And, you know, we know that, you know, of course, a little bit of talent and it helps mm. is what 30% of the job. <laughs> Yeah, the rest of it is the yeah, rest really of it is really a know. lot of other things. <laughs> a lot of resilience, a lot of, you know, not giving up, uh, you know, but it, we all do what we do because we love it, you know. Mm. Nobody follows a career because, you know, I'm going to be a classical musician because I'm going to be famous and millionaire. No, says yeah. nobody ever. <laughs> Oh, but uh, so which which show could you wanna tell us which show you you one of them? How is it being on TV and how was the experience of, of being in a panel? Because I think yeah, I stopped so that
1: you. Was, that was um yeah, so I, I'd had a baby three months before that <laughs> when I did oh. that <laughs> So I still had a brain that was just mush after having a baby. Oh, no. Um so that was yeah, back in 2017, that was for Sky One, we did um Sing Ultimate Acapella. So I'd done quite a bit of judging for acapella um competitions um across the country and I'd done a lot of show choir things and and so they they I didn't even apply for that they just emailed me kind of out of the blue and I was there in my joggers with baby sick all over me and my you know changing a nappy (laughs) and um I got this email from them saying we're we're creating this brand new tv show and we want instead of kind of celebrity judges giving little sound bites we want actual experts judges and we'd Which really like much them. better isn't yeah, it? when you can actually say something useful rather than like oh you made it your own and you think like, yes. oh hear that said or yes. yeah um so it was so I initially said no because I was I said well I've, I've just had a baby I don't think you want me for tv <laughs> in the state I'm in at the moment I don't look I don't look tv ready um and I said I, you know I've got a, a three-month-old so I can't um, leave her here because it, it meant a week of filming in London, and I obviously couldn't couldn't leave her behind. And they were so keen on having me um, that they um, made it possible for my husband to come as well. And they set us up in like a suite in London. Amazing. And uh, I'd, they were so lovely. They 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 were just just an amazing um, team that ran that show, and they made it possible for me as a new mum to have a role in that show they could have easily just said no we'll just get a different judge <laughs> that would have been so much easier for them to just you see but th- this proves to me that there
0: is hope in the industry because you know it, yeah. it depends only on the person you know the producer or the person being open-minded it will open a lot of doors to a lot of
1: people That's wonderful absolutely and they were they were just so supportive and lovely and I didn't know at the time but Kat Dealey was the was the host and she was lovely she was actually pregnant at the time with her second child so oh. she looked so tall and slim you couldn't actually tell she was about I think two or three months pregnant so she was yeah you know probably not feeling 100% because you know oh. you're a bit you know morning sick at that that point and things but yeah so they was so they were able to support Kat through that and me with my new baby so they they yeah they were Wonderful. just amazing they made it they made that possible for me to, to be part of it and that um changed my life in in a lot of really unexpected ways you know working with other people on the panel who were people I'd always admired and I'm like oh my goodness I'm actually sitting next to them <laughs> and yes. deemed, deemed a peer of <laughs> <us. I'm laughs> like, oh my. exactly and I got to work with like the Swingles and um and Midyore and Gregory Porter and all these different people who like, I never thought I'd ever have contact with them I'd ever be on the same program as them like how would that ever happen and it was just incredible to be kind of almost like given that stamp of approval to be on that show and then it's well made... well deserved it well <laughs> I didn't feel like it at the time I was there in maternity wear on the bottom half Well, wow. Barkley on the top I was like, I, was like if I sit behind a desk it's fine no one can see how fat I look at the moment um and um and it was just just a wonderful wonderful experience and then it it made it it, um kind of not easier to get work after that but but once you've got that on your cv people say oh you must be someone if you got chosen for that so it kind of it got me into other other things um and and I was able to help out a lot of charities do lots of um work for them because I was not exactly a celebrity I'm not I'm definitely not a celebrity but I had a connection to something that was quite big on tv so I was able to kind of use that to help other other people and um and that that was a real privilege to be able to to do that so I did some work for Wellchild um uh, for them um alongside um David Webb who's not a singer he and I judge that and um and we have a brilliant time judging that and we support the school the winning school choir through that and give them some coaching because they perform in front of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle oh, yes. so it's quite quite nerve-wracking for a school choir oh yes and then, yeah, it, it's just, it's a real privilege to be able to, to do that. And, um, yeah. and so- yeah. It must
0: have been a wonderful experience. Yeah. And also to, to be part of it and to contribute. Uh, and I know you got a super um, compliment from Prince Harry.
1: Didn't you? Oh yes. <laughs> and I was pregnant oh, wonderful. As well. I was pregnant with my second child and I was enormous. I looked like a barrage balloon. My second child Well, was- but being pregnant doesn't stop you being brilliant. <laughs> No but I was like I was worried that I wasn't going to make it up from the curtsy I was like this could be a disaster oh, we no. could have a situation here. The protocol. <laughs> the weirdest and I was like uh, yeah you know curtsy thinking oh yeah he and Megan loved that the school choir that performed um were just adorable and they, oh it was everyone was crying because it was so moving and, lovely. and so powerful they really went for it and one of the kids did a rap and it was oh it was just it was so amazing and they they um yeah they said uh oh yeah you're an inspiration I was like um
0: (laughs) yes of course I think I think anyone who works with young people and manages to inspire them is an inspiration because that's what they need so of course you are I'm sure they will remember you the, don't you remember you're inspiring the inspiring people in your life and it oh sometimes was one teacher, sometimes was one person who said this, I always remember them and they, you, we carry these people with us. so uh, yeah. I'm sure they will carry you with them. If you're enjoying this podcast, there are three simple things you can do to support our work. First, subscribe this way you will never miss an episode. Second, Tell about us to a friend or a family member. You always have someone to share the stories of this interview. Third, give us a review on iTunes or whatever other channel you subscribe. This way, you will be helping others to find our podcast. Can we talk Um, about something which is mental health Mm -hmm. and maternal Mm -hmm. uh, postnatal depression? Mm -hmm. uh, Because I'm sure many people will would like to hear that is it still a taboo do still women still find difficult to talk about you wrote a book about you have a fantastic workshop as well so could you tell us your experience how was it for you to share all this in a book and how what made you want to help more more women telling your journey as well
1: yeah i mean it was it was a horrible experience um and I, I'm one of those people, I don't know if you're the same, where you just think when something tough happens, you just think, I'll just knuckle down and get through it because we don't, we, <laughs> there isn't really much option. And with most things in life, I can just power on through and just with sheer determination, I can get through it. And I remember being pregnant with, with Layla, my first child, and the midwife said, um, well, as you've had mild depression before, you are statistically more likely to have postnatal depression. And I remember just thinking, no, I won't. I won't let that happen. And I just think just through determination of just deciding I'm not gonna have that, I thought I could stop it happening and it did not work. And I, it, was a, it was a really difficult birth that went on and on and on. And it was, it was um, struggled to establish breastfeeding and a lot of the kind of triggers that tend to uh, set up having postnatal depression yeah so, so I had some really bad postnatal depression but I didn't tell anyone because I felt so ashamed because you know I've got this my husband and I had a, it was a long-awaited baby that we weren't sure we'd be able to have and then we've suddenly got this perfect daughter and you just feel so ungrateful that you've got this child and you're struggling so much and I was having almost like hallucinations of like really terrible things happening and um, it was really frightening but I, I didn't tell anyone because I thought I think I'm insane and then if I tell anyone they'll take my child away from me so you get kind of trapped into this cycle of punishing yourself for being a terrible person but knowing you can't go for help because you're a terrible person and it's just it's awful it's it's really really difficult and so I did actually film um the tv show sing ultimate acapella during that time so I could put a face on and like ta-da everything's fine but I was really struggling behind the scenes um and it took me about six months to actually admit to my husband that I had that I had postnatal depression. Um, by that point, the psychosis kind of elements had kind of passed. Um, but really, I look back and I think I probably should have been sectioned for some of that because it was really bad. And some people do end up getting sectioned because their psychosis, their postnatal psychosis, is so mm-hmm. so dangerous, like frightening, that they they need a lot of support. And so I think, mm-hmm. I can't believe I just push through that on my own that wasn't very sensible um and um yeah so finally talking about it kind of normalized it and and just the only thing I would do is I would write lyrics down um because then if someone read them I could say oh it's just some lyrics for a song it's not actually how I feel so I could kind of hide how I felt uh which again is not a not a great idea it's not great to to hold this in Um, and and the other thing I would do is I would go on social media and look up lots of accounts. You know, people like Chrissy Teigen would talk quite often about her postnatal yeah. depression. And that really helped me, actually, because I thought, oh, my goodness, so many of her symptoms were exactly like mine. And I thought, oh, that's really similar. Oh, I think that's probably what it is. And then um, Laura Dockerill, who's um, Adele's best friend, Adele actually could of noticed that Laura had postnatal psychosis, postpartum mm-hmm. psychosis. And helped her get support, and her book is amazing. I read that, and it really resonated with me. I thought, oh my goodness, this is this is so much of what I felt. And you suddenly realise, and then so those are kind of famous people, but then really normal people, gone through the same thing. And a lot of them are very willing to talk about it on their on their blogs and on their um, Instagram and things. And so I started reaching out to people, and we'd we'd chat, and because I I knew they understood, and they won't judge you because they. Have thought exactly the same things and they yes. say the same like yeah I thought they take my baby away oh like, yeah that's what I thought and you kind of realize that it, you're not alone in those those thoughts and so then after I had my second child and the same thing happened again um mm. with the postnatal depression which is likely to happen so I was kind of anticipating it but I went for help straight away and told my family straight my husband and my, my family and my friends straight away that I was struggling so it it didn't feel as as bad but the actual, um, the kind of the 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 emotional weight was w- was as bad, um, but I d- I felt freer because I knew people understood. I wasn't having to try to hold it all together, um, so I had some support from the doctor and medication and counselling, and then I sort of finally said to my kind of my followers on Instagram and things about my whole kind of episode with postnatal depression. Um, Because people really thought I had it all together, you know, having a baby and doing a TV show and doing all this, and I thought, I'm really dishonest if I'm pretending that that I am that person, and I'm really not. That is not fair to other people who might be struggling. I don't need this. Is this is just pride? Me trying to pretend I've got it all together. That's not actually helpful to anybody. So yeah, when I said, you know, that I I said publicly that I had I'd had postnatal depression and psychosis, people had just hundreds of emails and private messages and things from people saying they'd felt the same or they knew someone who'd been through it or you know it's just it were just just absolutely floods of messages and quite a lot of people said or oh, could you could you write some lyrics with me because um I've been through the same thing and I'd like to have something positive to show that I've come through it and mm-hmm. so I was like okay well I'm not an expert but sure we'll do do that and this is obviously before the pandemic so you could actually be in the same room with somebody else (laughs) remember that time yes vaguely long ago (laughs) in the distant past um and and so I'd get together with you know groups of mums and dads and and we talk about our experiences um and the, the children would all play together and we'd we'd chat and have a cup of tea and some cake and then out of what they were saying I wrote a wrote a song um for them um, which I'd give to them um, and yeah from that um, and so many people sharing their stories of their kind of journey through their mental health um, I asked um, some of them if they would be willing to give me their story for a book um, because I, I realised what would have helped me is having a book like that of just real like case studies real stories of, of mums and dads going through it um, and coming out the other side and there wasn't really anything like that and also when you're a new parent the last thing you want to do is read an entire book with a narrative because you yeah. uh, you'll read a, you'll read a page and then three weeks later you'll pick it up and go what is this yes <laughs> have I read anything <laughs> we just don't have the time Start again yeah. exactly and I thought oh I just have the time for for a continuous story so it's lot it's lots of little little like one two page stories um from parents and then um, a set of lyrics or um, a poem. My one of my friends is um, a poet, and she also had postnatal depression, so she wrote these beautiful poems, kind of about that. So you can literally just pick the book up, read one little poem or a story or a set or lyric or something, and then just put it down again. So it doesn't matter where you open the book; it's not got a continuous narrative, so you don't need to feel bad about only having got halfway through it or something, because it doesn't really matter. Um, and that seems to have um, really helped some people, which is which which was the aim I thought if it just helps one person then it have yes. it and I'm
0: sure it will continue and it's called not the only one that's right, right.
1: not the only one
0: yeah because I'm sure people will want to know um and how about the workshops is that co- also started because of is a lyrical light because mm-hmm. of your experience as well
1: yeah so that's um because I started casually just writing songs with mums who were you know having a hard time with their mental health and then it got so popular that I had to kind of set it up as like a proper thing <laughs> so it, it was called Lyrical And did Light. you
0: manage to continue now or from a distance? No not ideal.
1: It's not it's difficult to do that because I think it's it was the the getting together um, and then because you're essentially providing the childcare as well because I do give the kids little things to do and play with and things so all the, all the babies would be able to <laughs> be in a safe space together as well and it was that that made it possible because mum's trying to, have to do a meeting on zoom essentially when their toddler's trying to pull all the shelves down and you know not eat. the same is if it not, yeah <laughs> then they're just breath. <laughs> um so I've done sort of some elements of it and then I've tried to help um postnatal depression charities like pandas and and those ones I've tried to do a lot more practical support through this time because the it's like one in seven um, women have postnatal depression but that's gone up to one in five um, in yeah so it's um, during this pandemic women are giving birth on their own they're not able to have visitors they're not able to have that level of support because and it
0: it sounds like you had a great support on your husband but you also Mm. have lots of women who don't have that as well isn't it so it must be so lonely
1: Yes yeah and I it's I just don't know how people are I think they're absolute heroes for having a baby during a pandemic and it wouldn't have been something anyone planned they were just you know pregnant or and and then suddenly this pandemic happened and it's it's you know having to kind of get through that um having a baby and and being kind of on your own is just so hard I just absolutely take my hats off to these incredible people because I couldn't I, I know I couldn't have done that so i i just you probably think could you right. probably could well i guess in the circumstance you, there's not much option yeah. is that <laughs> that's it yeah as you said yeah. we get on with it
0: yes <laughs> uh yeah. um, we don't have enough time to talk about everything but there is uh one thing i would like to talk about before we finish which is i know you have uh, many musical projects but i also know uh you've been raising money for charities that support black youth mm. and is that something uh new is that something that happened because of something, if you would like to tell us
1: more. Sure, well, it was, it was kind of triggered by the, by the death of George Floyd, which was, well, murder of George Floyd, I should say, um, which really deeply impacted me. And I've been, I think being in the UK as well, we don't see, see as much racial violence. Um, I know it happens, but it just seems absolutely horrific in America. And that, I think the whole world was shaken by by that death Um, and I just suddenly thought like just just not being a racist isn't enough anymore like I know that you know I've got I've got black friends and white friends and Asian friends and like nothing like that has ever bothered me but I was like that's not enough anymore yeah I've got to like do something and I feel very white and privileged and what am I gonna what am I gonna do and who's gonna listen to anything I have to say um so I spoke to um, one of my friends aaron who i met on sing ultimate acapella actually he was one of the judges and he is um he's a black american who lives over in the uk now and he's currently in the cast of hamilton um which is like the most inclusive show there is yeah. it's just amazing and i talked to him about it and i said i just i want to do something but i don't know what to do um and and he and he said yeah i feel the same i feel you know as a, as, as a, you know, as a fairly privileged black man, he was like, I don't, I don't know what to, what to do either, I want, but I want to do something. So we decided we'd write a song together mm-hmm. about not really knowing what to do, but, want, but, but knowing we, we had to do something. And my husband said to me, because I said, it's, it just seems too hard. Maybe this is too hard a project to take on. And my husband said, yeah, it might be difficult, but that's no reason not to make a start. Exactly and uh, that's what the song became called make a start because it was like yeah I've got a very wise husband he's he's super smart (laughs) and um so we wrote that song and then Aaron sings on it he's got an amazing voice and then he got he asked two of the other cast members from Hamilton to the backing vocals and they're just incredible singers and um we didn't want to make any money from the song we were like that's not what we what we want to do so we um so all the money raised by sales of the song goes to um, the Black Ticket Project, which, um, which kind of enables um, young kids um, from kind of disadvantaged backgrounds to be able to go and see theatre, go and see, be part of things that they that would normally exclude them financially. Um, and then uh, Babassa, which is um, a project that runs in Bristol, which supports um, um, kind of youth from, from you know very disadvantaged areas of of the city um, many of whom are black um, Mm -hmm. and it kind of innate it's kind of like an apprenticeship like mentoring scheme so I do some of the mentoring as well for the the music the music kind of ones Um, and it kind of enables them to get into training and jobs and places that they perhaps wouldn't be able to any other way so it's it just feels like it we can actually make a difference like one person at a time because it is a big it's you know racism is like is one of the biggest problems that we have and it's there isn't a solution because if there were if there was then maybe it would have been solved by now um but it's it's kind of
0: but I think the beginning of the solution is exactly as you said we Mm. all have to effectively do something and it doesn't matter if it's feels oh but this is gonna not gonna change anything oh this is gonna be too small because that's what is needed I think as you say just saying oh of course I'm not racist of course I'm a feminist of course I am pro-equality of course Mm. we we have so many of those statements in 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 our lives as good citizens but what are we doing what are we doing every day to 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 make a small change Uh, and as you said I feel very privileged as well. I think the, the only um, prejudice I had to deal with my life was being a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but compared, and then there are so many different levels, you No, know, if you are, have prejudice for the color of your skin or your religion, or if you're gay, or, you know, so I, I am not gay, I'm white. I have a house uh, you know uh, and there's mm-hmm. so many things to feel privileged about so it, it just makes me feel more in debt or more committed to do something and Death. exactly as you said if it helps one person it's yeah enough.
1: absolutely and it's it's I think doing things on that scale it, you can you feel like you can actually do something whereas the entire project just you know thinking I'm gonna solve racism it, it's like that it's such a massive undertaking that you you'll stop before you even start because it's such a big thing but yeah just doing doing little bits and making a difference is um it can it can really help um and I'm, sh-
0: I'm sure you can um as you were describing from the people who re- reacted to your book or to your you sharing your story and you could see how much you helped other people this is something so powerful isn't it because when Mm. people tell you it it, it just you don't believe you can help people but we all can isn't it all our experiences can help people and i think many of us forget we feel so small sometimes don't we we feel but I have so many failures, I don't do this right, and but we forget that we can also say and inspire somebody in, in yeah. so some many ways. So thank you, Rachel. I, I'm almost crying here now. Oh <laughs> very emotional. <laughs> no, it's true because I think I'm sure you are the same because inspiring people are trying to make a difference, especially now the world the way it is. Yeah. You know, you feel more committed to actually
1: do something good every day and yeah. about your legacy. And in Hamilton, about yes. right, you know, Hamilton's legacy, and that's the kind of thing you you think about when you get to kind of middle age and you kind of think, What's, what's you're not that- middle age? <laughs> <laughs> I am 40 now, but it's like you, you just sort of think, What's gonna what's the important what's important in life? Is it kind of buying lots of stuff or is it having lots of holidays or is it you know it's kind of you kind of start to reassess what actually matters and what you want your legacy to be like if you want to have done good things that that are going to help people and going to keep helping people then it feels like those are the things to invest your time in and your heart in and yeah none of us are perfect but it's it's actually just trying to do something even if you're not perfect and yeah that is that it's, yeah. it's a, big, a big thing to kind of undertake but it's but it's possible we can all make a difference
0: definitely and you're definitely planting your seeds to your legacy oh thank you so much thank you so much thank stay you. in touch can you please just now tell people where to find you your website sure. your everything it will be on the on the website with the podcast
1: but just in case cool so my instagram is rachel walker mason my facebook is rachel walker mason uh uh twitter is rachel walker mason because i couldn't have the l bit in because there aren't enough letters um and my my website's just about to be redone but at the moment it's um, rachel mason music but that will be rachel <laughs> soon. Wonderful.
0: and her book is not the only one and the workshops are called lyrical light but everything is in your website thank you so much for being here with me today thank you for listeners wanting to learn more about donne and everything that we do please visit our website on www.donne-uk.org if you enjoyed the podcast please go to itunes to subscribe And while you're there, it will be great if you could rate and review the show and spread the word on social media. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to being with you in our next episode.